0: evening, and happy game day. Wait, what? Doing an episode on a game day that's not Thursday, correct? Well, it is Christmas Day. Merry Christmas to all Decaholics everywhere, worldwide. My gift to you on Christmas is a game day. So I set this up, talked to the NFL, I said, look, people are going to be overkill with their family, put two good games on, and should be a good game tonight. I don't know what's going to happen at 4.30. Packers, Browns, uh, we'll see what's going to happen there. I think the Packers are going to crush the Browns tonight. Baker Mayfield out of the COVID protocol, so he'll be playing tonight. And then the uh, Colts and the Cardinals. I, it's, that one's going to be an interesting, very interesting game, especially playoff implications for the Colts and the Cardinals, being that they're tied, um, the Cardinals being tied with the Rams, for first place in the NFC West. So, anyway. Going on here, this is the Deacon & Co. Show. My name is Deacon. I am the host of this podcast and this hourly long or sometimes two-hourly long podcast that uh, basically, I guess you could say, gets the perspective of other fans of music, sports, um, artists, writers, uh, and, and just tries to fit it all in somehow with the crazy world that we're living in. And uh, although today's episode is not going to be a Metallica episode, which you guys are accustomed to, um, I am going to chat with a good buddy of mine. Uh, His name is Malcolm Lowry. In just a few minutes, he's anticipating this. I know I can see his smile through the other end of the phone right now, but he is uh, waiting to get on here. And uh, I waited a long time to get Malcolm on here. Uh, Not that we recorded a long time ago, but uh, we... um, had other things going on as you guys are aware we just uh, celebrated 40 years of Metallica last weekend and uh I got to tell you that I'm still living on the high. I'm still living um like this is a dream and it really was for me. Um I don't want to sound corny or whatever you want to say from here but um yeah, I, I I this was kind of a dream come true. I mean, top it. I've been to the Super Bowl. I've been to the finals. Uh, I've been to the Stanley Cup. Like I you know, I've I've done it all uh but to see a concert of this magnitude sure that I will never hear a concert again that big until I get to the 50 uh Metallica's 50th anniversary and I know the way that those guys felt last weekend that they're not going to stop but some cool gifts today on Christmas I got Metallica clue that was really cool uh, I got some Kirk Hammett signature guitar picks um and the coolest thing ever was just in time to get us ready for Vegas I uh, got my vest. I started my Metallica vest. So I got some cool patches. Of course, if you guys thought anything else but Master of Puppets was going to be the centerpiece of the vest. And please, direct me to your dealer. Because I want to know what drugs you are on. Because I want to share them with you. But Master of Puppets is the back piece to this. And rightfully so, man. Best song by Metallica. And... uh Gave you guys the list from SiriusXM, and, and I know we shouldn't always just go off of Sirius XM, but the SiriusXM, but being that the amount of people that had voted for this, and uh, record-breaking from what the DJs on the air said, uh, yeah, this is a big deal. So uh, crazy, you know, that anyone would think Master of Puppets wasn't Metallica's best song, but... Anywho, so uh, that being said, a couple of things before I get uh, chatting with uh, Malcolm here. Uh, the first thing is, is that I had mentioned to you guys that the situation here, if you guys are any bit interested in watching the uh, Metallica uh, 40th shows, uh, they are streaming uh, from Christmas Day to, um, or I'm sorry, yesterday, Christmas Eve, uh, to now... Uh, Monday, you'll be able to catch the shows for free on Amazon. Just check them out. I think you have to uh, sign up for some type of free um, trial or some shit. to give you like a seven day trial to do that or whatnot. But if you're already a member of the music or whatnot, you then you still you would get the uh, shows for free. But definitely check them out because they definitely are worth your time watching. Couple of birthday shout outs here as well. Uh, yeah, we had a birthday for our next guest who will be coming on next week, John Jennings, uh, on the 23rd of. The month, which was three days, two days ago, uh, and tomorrow for Mr. Lars Ulrich. And that's a big birthday for him as well. And hopefully everybody is staying safe on Christmas Day and getting to enjoy it with some family as well. Tomorrow being Boxing Day. So happy Boxing Day in advance to all us Canadians as well. Um, Something I wanted to bring up for you guys uh, check this out at uh, worldofcrete.com or select art 22. Uh, Our buddy Big Banjo will be having some. Artwork displayed from the twenty fifth to the twentieth of February, and he's on pace doing some crazy shit of getting entered into all these galleries and whatnot. And uh, very proud of him, Keep up the good work, Big Ben Joe. And he, he just went to Italy, and it was really just cool and awesome to see all of the progress that he's made. And sometimes when you're in a situation where uh, you know Big Ben Joe was, um, you know, I, I told him just stick with what you love and what you want to do, and then you know, gotta steal a line from you know Stephen Stills here. Fuck them all. That's that simple. And one of the huge inspirations for people who do art, uh, you know, is obviously what they see in the beauty of the eye and the eye of the beholder. And all of that, I truly do believe. So excellent work, Big Banjo. Uh, of course, we're going to post some stuff for him, uh, obviously, on the Deacon and Co. show pages. Uh, so make sure you guys pay attention to the Twitter, Deacon and Co. show, and Instagram, Deacon and Co. show, uh, to take a look at what we got going on for him. And, of course, I will remind everybody as the time goes on of, um, you know, what we got going on in that situation of getting closer to the dates of when the actual event will be happening. Um, Really not really too much crazy going on today with the sports world because now hockey's pushed back yet another day, which would be now coming back on Tuesday. But uh, a little bit of basketball. Uh, The Hawks and the Knicks, uh, Celtics and the Bucks, Warriors and the Suns, and the Nets and the Lakers... Uh ten thirty ending tonight will be the Jazz and the Mavericks. So some good matchups today. Not everybody's playing, obviously, and as I mentioned earlier with the NFL. Uh Browns, Packers, seven and a half down for the pack, uh over forty-six for the game. I think both of those happened. Uh two and a half for the Cardinals at home versus the Colts, uh forty eight and a half in the game. I, I also think both of those happened. So good day for betters, maybe. We'll see what happens. Good luck to you all no matter what you do. So what besides the fortieth shows going on and whatnot? We got to get ready for Vegas and gear up and stuff with uh, the next Metallica shows. Uh, a lot of cool things that they did at the fortieth anniversary shows. Um, you know with the set list and whatnot, but just like the little movies inside the. Um Uh, I guess every three songs they did like a little bit of a movie and whatnot, and and it's so cool because, like, you're thinking about it from this perspective here, um, you know, of trials and tribulations that the people that have been there since day one, I mean, I can only imagine how cool that is or whatnot, but bring that up because next week's guest we're going to have John Jennings, as I mentioned, has something cool that he did, and he wrote a, a Metallica screenplay, and what we're trying to do, basically, on this aspect of things is trying to push the screenplay a little further and i think that you guys will like him i think you'll like the concept behind it and especially if you're a metallica fan you're gonna like this Um but you know as i try to explain to everybody at certain points and i ask what their entry point to metallica is because if you don't get somebody whose entry point to metallica was "Kill 'Em all does that mean that they're not there for the whole ride because they didn't start from album one, or it was just happened to be the time that somebody was actually born and got into it or whatever it was? It's just different from post and pre Black album, uh, as a lot of people really uh, do feel that way. For me, um, I'm just a fan, and I I learned to like the other things that that I didn't like at first, like Saint Anger and Load and Reload and stuff like that. So so you know it, it's really cool that those you know, albums existed because I couldn't picture Metallica without them, you know, and it's cool to hear them and the, the tracks and stuff that, you know, that had happened and whatnot. But um point being is, is that I feel that when it comes down to the issue of having screenplays and, uh, you know, um, I guess Metallica related things that I feel that with a number behind this, that it will definitely make an impact. And for me, for someone who is already uh halfway through the actual play itself, um I I could tell you guys that this is pretty moving shit and, and I think that you guys would really love it, but we'll save that for next week. But I've got a one last note that I just wanted to say and I just wanted to say uh you know, Thanksgiving or whatever you gave the speech about being thankful, but I want to say that I'm thankful for everybody that uh listens to the show and I appreciate everybody who interacts with me and you know listens to my rants and bullshit every week of you know just shooting the shit with you guys about music and sports and uh thank you guys for being there and being fans so I wish everybody the happiest healthiest holiday season um uh, and of course a happy new year and uh look forward to more crazy things coming in the future for the Deacon and Co show stuff that will blow you guys away and uh it's going to start now. And where are we go. Uh, as I told everyone earlier, I had this very special guest today. Uh, he is the original Ayatollah of rock and roll. Malcolm Lowry, music critic, my dear friend. Welcome to the Deacon and Co Show. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I am doing better than damn good, Deacon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's what, what I love to hear.
1: You know, I, I as I mentioned earlier, when we, uh, before we started uh, our show, that I moved down to South Carolina from New York. And uh, right now, it's, uh, I don't know, I would say it's darn close to 60 degrees. However, at night, it gets below freezing. So it's, it's a real swing in temperatures. But uh, just hanging out here with the dog and uh, loving the sun and talking to you, pal.
0: Oh, awesome. That's what I uh, like to hear there. Um, now, let me ask you this question, Malcolm. Now, being the difference of the nighttime temperature difference, you guys obviously down there, you you dress appropriately for the, the scenario, right? Have you guys seen any snow yet?
1: Well, best I can tell, they don't get any snow. And if they do, it's a sprinkle. But the funny thing was, somebody told me, uh, one of the locals around here, that if they get even flurries, they close the schools.
0: Yeah. In
1: fact, they don't even let the kids walk to school that walk to school because they're afraid they're going to slip and hurt themselves.
0: <laughs> that, that's crazy. I can only imagine how nuts it is down there uh, You know, when it comes to that. I guess safety first or whatnot. But, uh, Malcolm, tell the uh, Decaholics a little bit about yourself, your background, what, what do you do. Um, I, I think you're one of the most fascinating people that I've got to uh, – Counter with and it's really a pleasure speaking with you. And it was your idea to come on. And I, as soon as you pitched it to me, it wasn't even a pitch. It was let's do it. Let's find the time and do it.
1: Well, thanks for the flattery. Flattery gets you nowhere, but don't stop trying. Right? <laughs> um, well, I mean, very briefly after college, uh, I graduated in uh, nineteen seventy. I think it was. (laughs) Uh, And my career path was radio. So my first paying gig was on Long Island at a, a radio station called WNYG. Now, WNYG was the sister station or the AM station for WBAB. Now, in the old days, back in the 60s, when we were teenagers and kids and stuff like that, Uh, we would drive around in our cars because we had AM radio. (laughs) And WBAB would simulcast their their FM rock signal onto the AM. So it was great. So you didn't need an FM radio to listen to what was going on on the rock side. But unfortunately, the FCC stepped in and they said that if your radio station is in a certain market size, that you had to split off one of the stations and do separate programming. So the owners of the station at that time decided that they were going to break off uh, the am and uh, they were going to program it for gospel radio, religious broadcasting, which actually was kind of an interesting experience. Uh, but um, uh, one thing I did learn about uh, about the uh, religious programming and other, Uh, specialty types of audiences, while the audience may not be large, they are loyal and that dial is cemented to that station and never changes. So it's a great way to advertise if you're a merchant and you're looking to uh, appeal to a certain group of people. You go to those small stations, the advertising rates are cheap as hell. And you're going to be talking to the same ten people day after day after day, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was there for about a year, and uh, it was it was interesting. Met a lot of uh, a lot of interesting people, and then uh, an opportunity opened up out on the east end of Long Island at a Riverhead radio station called WRCN. It was an FM rocker that. Uh, uh, catered to those folks out in the Hamptons uh, in the summertime when everybody left New York city and would spend their summers out in the Hamptons. All of a sudden our audience size would, I'm going to say he's tripled, uh, if not more. And, uh, you know, we used to advertise a lot of the clubs. As a matter of fact, I used to work in, uh, a couple of the clubs spinning records and, uh, you know, keeping uh, places hopping. Uh, there, there was a place, um, called the uh, the nightclub it was a pretty big outfit the legal occupancy limit was around 850 but when they got some of the lo- good local bands like twisted sister or uh, the good rats if, i don't know if you remember those but uh you know they'd have like 1500 people in this place you know, it was a, it was a complete zoo but uh, anyway, uh, I did uh, I did another four years with WRCN, and uh, that was about the time when uh, I got married and my first child came along and realized mm-hmm. that the kind of money that I was making just wasn't uh, enough to cut the mustard. So I applied for a job uh, uh, very large uh, insurance company, you probably heard of it, Nationwide Insurance, Yeah. and I was uh, uh, an agent for the company for 36 years. I'm, uh, I'm retired now, but uh, I will tell you this, that my first paycheck with Nationwide was triple my take-home pay with the radio station, so I, I said to my wife, I think I made a good decision.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
1: I love music, you know, I love music ever since, uh, you know, I could probably walk, mom and dad were into a lot of classical stuff and uh, of course, you know, as a teenager, would always listen to you know, guys like Dan Ingram, W-A-B-C, hey Kibosami, what's happening? You know, <laughs> you know The other top 40 uh, guys and uh, and then if they, you know, got into college and stuff like that, kind of experimented uh, I was on the uh I was stationed out the West Coast on California when I was in the Air Force. I learned a lot about the California radio out there. One thing I didn't realize is that they've got more country stations there than in Nashville. Uh, but it, I got turned on to a lot of very interesting groups, some that I liked, some that I didn't. Uh, but, of course, the Grateful Dead and Quicksilver Messenger Service were big bands out there, along with the Jefferson Airplane, later the Starship, and... You know, and those kind of bands. Um, In fact, I remember after I got out, there was a song on the radio that we all know and love by Deep Purple, Smoking on the Water. But for some reason, uh, when I got home to New York, I called up a friend of mine and I said, you have to listen to this song. He'd never heard it before. Apparently it was out like three months in advance out in California and hadn't gotten to the East Coast yet. So... But uh, you know, I really uh, had the opportunity to listen to a, a lot of great stuff out there. Uh, were, uh i personally—I think they were way ahead of their time. AM stations were programmed like FM rock stations around here, but kind of like the underground type of stuff. I mean, yeah, you'd hear—you uh, know—Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, you know—all all those bands. But you'd hear them all on AM radio, which I thought was pretty cool. So, and uh, anyway, so then uh, you know, I had a lot of ex- a lot of fun uh, experiences when I was working for WRCN. Uh, I remember one time uh, I was the music director. Basically, my job was screen music, select what we were going to play for that week, and uh, basically just responsible for every, everything that went on over the air. Well, I got a phone call from one of the record labels and he uh, said, listen, uh, Rolling Stones are releasing their new album, uh, I believe it was like yeah, a couple of days. It was one. I forget the name of the album, might be Some Girls. He says, we'd like to invite you, Plus One, to come and meet the Stones uh, in New York City at a place called Danceteria. We're sending invites out to all the AOR stations in the tri-state area and uh, inviting them to come. And I said, I'm absolutely going to be there. At 3 o'clock, we got there in the afternoon, walked in. uh, I figured, okay, get a chance to yak with, you know, Mick or some of the other guys in the band. Mick and Keith were sitting next to each other. Must have had about five or six bodyguards around them, plus all the other radio people. You couldn't even get near these guys. So I just started walking around, and uh, lo and behold, who do I see standing in front of me? with one guy next to him was Bill Wynum, their bass player. So, yeah, I went up to him, I introduced myself, shook his hand, we chatted a little bit and then we moved on. But, uh, it was little things like that as the perks. It wasn't so much the money. You know, it's a great occupation if you're young and single uh, because you've got uh, really nothing tying you down. You know, when you're married you've got kids and stuff, you can't do that stuff.
0: Plus, you have to have, you know, the money. I'm yeah. Sure you could, you to that, too. But uh, yeah, I had
1: a lot of, you know, met a lot of interesting people. Uh, one of the uh, fun things I did one night when I first got hired out there, I was doing the midnight to 6 a.m. shift. So they were listening to Malcolm Gray, the night Rider. Gray was my, or it still is, my middle name. So I only used that. So I was in touch with a guy named Bill Andres out in. Uh, Babylon at WBAB, and across the pond there in uh, Bridgeport, I guess it was, WPLR, which was a very big, big powerful uh, uh, FM rocker. And we all decided that we were going to play, I think it was a uh, Fleetwood Mac song, I can't remember. And we are all going to play it all at exactly the same time. So if somebody didn't want to listen to it on my station, They flip over
0: to BAB to hear the same song. Then they go with a P L I they have the same <laughs> 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 That's funny. We we would do, you know, yeah, crazy. Anyway, what else you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've always got you always got these stories to hear that just does floor me, especially when it comes to music and whatnot. But um, the argument has been going on for a couple of weeks now uh, on the show of the top greatest five bands of all time, and, and I figured that I would ask you this question because of your knowledge of music. What are your thoughts on that? What are your top five bands of all time?
1: You know, I gave that some thought, at least 60 seconds. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I came to the conclusion if I'm going to, I, I guess, expand my horizons, as it were, and not get emotionally involved in uh, the selections, I think the criteria is, uh, or at least would include, length of time of longevity. Uh, record sales um, maybe uh, uh, concert attendance uh, things like that and try to remove you know my person my personal feelings about it so with that in mind um, I think one of the uh, uh, well number one has to be the Beatles I mean this is the band that everything else came from whether it be the uh, uh, you know, soft rock, hard rock, metal—it it all came from the Beatles. Why? Because they changed the way rock and roll uh, was to go into the future. You know, up until then, you had, of course, you know, a lot of uh, great country uh, and uh and um, rockabilly kind of people, and it, it was the birthplace. Uh, of uh, of our music uh, for today but the Beatles changed all that and they basically said okay we're over here now this is what we're going to do and it caught on like fire you know, that was part of my generation I think I was about 16 or 17 years old when they first came to America and they changed the lives of everybody my age plus or minus uh, so the Beatles obviously have to be number one uh from there you could say uh the stones uh the grateful dead uh i'm not a very big grateful dead fan there's a few songs that i like but you know people will tell you you either love them or you hate them there's very few people that are kind of in between i'm sort of like that but you got to give credit where credit is due i mean these guys have had life after death i mean am i right or wrong
0: yeah absolutely
1: you know, after Jerry died, I mean, there's all kinds of versions of the dead floating around today. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have a very close and dear friend of mine. You might want to actually consider going on the show someday. But he's a music wizard. The man has, I would say he easily
0: sees 200 concerts a year. Wow. Uh, and that's every year. Uh, my friend
1: Tony and I, we would go. Uh, but he, he, the season tickets at Jones Beach Theater, which is a great venue. Um, the I'm sure you've probably been to. Uh, uh, I forget what they call the Westbury Music Fair now, but you know the, the the place I'm talking about. Yes, I think it's uh, the
0: NYC at B Theater now. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. Or Capital uh, One Theater, maybe one of them. But <laughs> my, my, my friends would pull his leg, and they'd
1: say, you know, if the Walt Whitman band was going to be on concert, Tony would be there to see them. (laughs) (laughs) He actually, believe it or not, I don't know if you remember this, but it goes back a few years, uh, when Cream reunited for, I'm guessing about a week, at the Royal um, uh, Albert Hall in London.
0: Yeah. Well, he flew over there and had tickets for two of the shows. Just to give you an idea what a crazy
1: fan he is, as far as music goes. He's seen The Grateful Dead, I think about two or 300 times. Uh, a huge fan. but Anyway, just to round out, uh, I would say uh, I, you, know, you can't possibly not mention Led Zeppelin. I mean, I remember the first time I saw Zeppelin, it blew me away. Uh, again, I was pretty young. I think it was in the late 60s. And a friend of mine and his girlfriend and I were out in Shelter Island. And we had uh, plans of going in to see them. They were playing at the old New York State World's Fair Pavilion. And uh, what is that, Fresh Meadows? Yeah. Is that, is that what, uh, so we took the train from uh, Greenport, uh, Long Island, and got off at Fresh Meadows. General admission tickets were $3.50 to see... Led Zeppelin. We got there, and we were having a ball. Now, the show only lasted, I'm going to say, I don't think it lasted an hour and a half. They ran out of tunes to play, so they started playing songs that they played in the earlier part of the set. And then uh, I think something happened to John Bonham. They they couldn't continue. I don't know if he was puking all over his drums or whatever, but that's when the show ended. But for $3.50, I mean, come on. How
0: do you go wrong? Yeah, amazing.
1: Did I I name five? You did. Oh, uh, Pink Floyd. Uh, Pink Floyd has such a huge fan base that it's uh, probably, arguably, one of the top uh, bands ever. And as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dark Side of the Moon spent the most amount of weeks on billboards top 200 than any other band in history and i just looked it up today and it said 950 weeks that's a little over 18 years yeah Can you name any band that's even come close
0: uh no not for an album and that album particularly is the number one classic rock album of all time such a classic beautiful album start to finish absolutely
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I guess, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of the bands that I enjoy, a lot of other kinds of music. Um, you know, I was fortunate uh, when I was working at WRCN that we had an opportunity to go to a lot of shows. We did uh, interviews with uh, a variety of, uh, uh, of musicians. Uh, I think my favorite one. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of Supertramp. What's his name, Uh, Anthony Helliwell, I think is his name. He's the woodwind player for the band. And uh, I was on the phone with him for about an hour, and we broke it down and made it uh, two one-hour shows, uh, and inserted a lot of music from the beginning days right up to the current album that was out at the time called Paris which was a double live album and to this, to this day is a great great album and they were phenomenal live but uh, also interviewed uh, Martin Barr you know who Martin Barr is no who is he he's is the lead guitarist for Jethro Tull
0: ah very nice
1: and um, they were doing a show in Philadelphia I believe and so he called the radio station because this was worked out through the record companies And I was on the phone with him for probably about a half hour, 45 minutes, something like that. And again, they were just releasing a new album. I believe the album was called A. And, uh, you know, I'd ask him, you know, I tried to ask questions about them personally. I mean, we all know, you know, Jethro Tull is a great band and they've done so many great things, blah, blah. But I would ask him questions like, um, uh,. What kind of records do you have in your collection? (laughs) You um, which actually, it's funny, uh, uh, I'm thinking of another story here about um, the Rolling Stones. Uh, I had a friend of mine, he was a retired physician and about 20 plus years my senior. Uh, He lived down in Nashville and he, he would, if you didn't know this guy,
0: Phil, you'd think this guy is full of shit. <laughs> he could, he, he,
1: I mean, no matter what you would say, uh, he could top it. So I wanted to tell him a story about when uh, this guy from the radio station, myself, went into dance to meet the Rolling Stones. I thought mm-hmm. so that was pretty cool. You know what he tells me? He says, Oh, that's nice. He says, Last week I had
0: breakfast at Mick's mother's house. <laughs> <laughs> I wow. I thought that way. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know,
1: but as it turned out, uh, this guy was for real, and uh, for real in a lot of ways, very well connected. Uh, his specialty were, was movies. He produced a lot of movies, uh, um, uh, some miniseries on TV. As a matter of fact, he told me, comes out of the blue and says, yeah, I own the rights to the Amy Fisher story. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I own the rights. I said, okay. Phil." So, knock me out. How, how did you do this? He said, it was pretty simple, actually. He says, I went to the jail. I met her. I said, I'll bail you out. Because The bail, I think, was like a million dollars. He says, I'll bail you out in exchange for your story. And she said, okay.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That is crazy. Imagine yeah. that.
1: <laughs> well, Phil had all kinds of stories, knew all kinds of people, was very uh, uh, connected through the movie industry, even uh, even the music industry to, uh, to an extent. And his son was also big time into uh, music. As a matter of fact, uh, you could Google him. Um, it was uh, Phil uh, was the father. Ken was the... Son and um, uh, okay, let me just think. Uh, I'm trying to think of the last name. I, I should know this, but um, oh, Leviton, Levitan, L E V I T A N, Levitan, something like that. And uh, very well connected people. Uh, uh, I was told by Ken one time that um, uh, he invited uh, some friends over for New Year's Eve at his house uh his friends were Michael McDonald and uh, Steve Winwood <laughs> and uh, they just they just hung out, drank, sang, played guitars, stuff like that. They're very cool people. So um anyway, I'm I'm getting a uh, um getting off the track here. <laughs> no worries, uh,
0: Malcolm. I agree with you on your list. Um, I, I do. And, and it, I don't I don't know if you expected this from me, but a couple of weeks back, uh, I asked uh, this question, and this is why we got the ongoing argument, because I gave the, the my four, top four have stayed the same, and I swapped out my number five. So my number five going backwards five to one, um, I, I, I put Rush in here. And uh, I had Guns and Roses as my original answer here, but I think Rush is the better answer, especially with the three man band and what they're following and what they stood for and everything else that they, you know, they they were uh, about as a band. And then I agreed with you here with the with with the next three. So I put Zepp at four because you're absolutely right. Uh, I I do feel in my eyes that it's between Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and Judas Priest of the innovators of heavy metal. So they absolutely have to be in there, and uh, I'm really jealous that you got to see them for $3.50. So that was definitely definitely worth every single penny of that. Rolling Stones come in at three for me. Um, Mick Jagger, unbelievable, still doing it. And uh, number two, I, I definitely think that uh, you're right on how they changed the way that rock and roll was forever, the Beatles. But number one for me, It's going to be Metallica. And just based upon your answer before, I don't think I've ever had anybody come up with an answer like that or a statement before the answer of, depends on the record sales, longevity of the band, uh, you know, uh, ticket sales and all that stuff and that. And the difference that what separates for me, Metallica, from every one of these other guys is they're a machine. So yes, these guys all put out t-shirts, they put out albums, they put out this stuff. But... Christmas is coming, right? Christmas Day being today. I hope you're gonna have a great holiday after. They just released right in time for the holidays. Uh, Metallica clue, so now not only are you guys doing the music you 're putting out these new vinyls you 're going with the t shirts you 're going with the, with the the games you 're going with the video games're going i mean they 're a machine it doesn 't stop and yes, if these other bands had the opportunity to do so and later on, I do believe the Rolling Stones had a, a video game out. Beatles definitely did um, Led Zeppelin and Rush should, but you know you get the gist of what i 'm trying to say with this. Uh oh! <laughs> I I happen to
1: notice it wasn't long ago, maybe in the past year or so. Um, I think it was on HBO or one of the premium channels where they had um, uh, Metallica. Uh, they, were, they were they had the uh, the entire concert, and I figured you know what? I, I mean I'm not a big Metallica fan, but uh, I watched it. First of all, the stadium that they played in was incredible i i, I want to say it was maybe in europe someplace i, I you know I, I don't know for sure so i said all right you know i gotta watch this maybe there's uh, something here that will will ring true to me and that uh, my mind um but I, I i thought the opening of it was pretty impressive i watched it for uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes and then i think football came <laughs> on and i was I wanted to say, but uh, um, but you can't deny the success of the band. Uh, they've got. I'm before talking about uh, the radio station that has uh, very unique programming to a select audience. That that uh, radio dial is cemented to that station. Well, I feel kind of the same way about. It bands like Metallica and there's others as you know that you've got hardcore fans and there's nothing you're going to do to change them and, if even, and it might be even to a fault where I really don't want to listen to anything else or very few other things but this is my band I would say a band that is going to be of mass appeal has to have fringe people all the way around outside of their immediate uh, uh, fan base. Um, hold on one second. Hey. Hey, Luca. Come
0: here. <laughs> I've been talking to market and some kids in the backyard. <laughs> Guest appearance uh, there. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, so, I
1: mean, I, I don't know how many fans Metallica has or you probably have a better uh, handle on that. How, how many would you care to say a uh, hardcore
0: Metallica fans there are. Um, I I mean, just as a guesstimation, um, I would say at, at least at, at least it's over a billion. I, I mean, at least because they're in every country. Um, uh, as uh, we just found out a couple episodes. Uh, I started uh, my own Metallica chapter. It's called Deek Talica. So it just bigger that each one of these usually it depends on what state it is. Uh, some states have three. Some states have four or five, whatever the situation is. And all of these guys, it's not just the United States. It's the chapters in other countries. It's, it's a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, Billy,
1: that's
0: a pretty aggressive number. Yeah. I I mean we I just a uh, couple about about a couple weeks ago when we spoke last I had mentioned to you that they had uh, done some uh festivals uh, first one, they broke the record, 145,000 people there. Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, they did it again, breaking the record. So it's, I mean, besides, you know, uh, you know, everything going on the 40th anniversary shows that we just happened in past, um, excellent shows from them. And, you know, it, it, the people that I mentioned, the people that you mentioned, you don't have rock and roll without those other bands.
1: Exactly.
0: And I agree. I agree with you a hundred percent. Not to cut your train of thought off about some people that just don't want to hear, and it's just I only listen to that or that whatnot. So I get that a lot from people where they like even even some of my own family. Like we'll sit there and uh, you know sometimes uh, you know we'll, quest song will come up, it'll pop up or whatnot, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I remember you know where I was when I got this album. Bobby wasn't born when that album was released, but I remember exactly where I bought it from. And they're looking at me, they're like. Uh, really? And I'm like, yeah. What'd, what'd you think? I was only Metallica. You know, I wasn't gonna come on here and give five metal bands. There's no influential metal band to, to me that is worthy of a top ten. Uh, besides Metallica, that like nobody even comes close. If you if you put the next metal band in a top hundred bands list of all time, Metallica's gonna be in the top ten or top twenty five. I can guarantee that. But you won't see another metal band in the top hundred. I can guarantee that.
1: Well,
0: let me let me challenge that. Yeah. If I may. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely do some research on it and we'll definitely, you know, we'll uh we'll definitely pull up the list of of 100 bands of all time and we'll see. I mean, oh. I, I can't I can't see I I mean there probably is 100 bands or you know what, I'll even I'll even lower it down. You won't see another band in the top 50 that is metal besides Metallica. That I can probably attest to and place a wager on too.
1: Well, where would you put Deep
0: Purple? I don't think Deep Purple is a metal band. I would I would no. I would put them on the top 50 list. Yeah, definitely, but I don't think they're a metal band.
1: Well, then maybe we need to define what is a metal band.
0: Um, heavy
1: metal is heavy metal different
0: than metal? Uh yeah, I would I mean I I guess you could put it in a genre of of different kinds of metal when you break it down because there's obviously death metal, heavy metal, metal, um liquid metal. There's so many different types of metal that there is and uh you know, especially with the innovation of spider cords when they came in, like you heard that from Zepp, you heard that come in, now to the next level when you had the bass, you know, going at 90 miles an hour up and down that thing, poking it when you're not really ever seen somebody do that before. Yeah, you know, so yeah. the wide spectrum there, but I, de- I mean, there's no way you can have a top 50 list without Deep Purple on the list. But I just don't think that they are a metal band. You think they're a metal band, Malcolm?
1: Well, you know what? I grew up in the in the infant, uh infancy of metal, and I'll start with bands like Black Sabbath and uh, Deep Purple. I mean, back when they came out. Yeah, you know, the term metal started to grow a little bit. It didn't catch on until probably years later. But then when people started looking back, say, "Oh, well, this is the birth of metal." Black Sabbath and uh, uh, yeah, Purple. And I'm trying to think of uh, I there's others that I, I just can't think of right now.
0: I would throw Priest and Zepp right on there too.
1: Yeah. Hey, yeah, I got a question for you. Yeah. What is the loudest band that you ever saw live?
0: Loudest band that I've ever saw live. Um, no, uh, it Metallica? Well, Metall- it depends on the venue of where you see them, because you obviously know that seeing somebody outside and inside is a lot different. Um, I would probably say that it's going it's to probably be either a tie between Metallica or uh, Pantera. I mean, Pantera is really, really heavy, and I think that if you're going to compare any sound of heaviness to Metallica, that Pantera would be the closest.
1: Well, I can tell you categorically that the loudest band that I ever saw was Led Zeppelin. And uh, there's an interesting story behind that. My uh, my friend Rick and I were huge Zeppelin fans from the moment the first album came out all the way through until we lost touch uh, with each other. But we knew that Zeppelin was coming to New York. The band had sold out Madison Square Garden, and we were very disappointed that we couldn't get tickets. And then we hear on the radio that they were going to do a matinee show. It was a last-minute decision, and they were going to play at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, and there was an extra added show. So Rick and I are freaking out. We said, okay, well, we definitely have to get tickets, and this is like the day of the show, or, or the day before the show. So the two of us and our girlfriends drive into uh, New York City. I'm right at the entrance of Madison Square Garden, and at the time, you know, ticket sales for concerts were nothing like you know I told you, three dollars and fifty
0: cents for general admission. Yeah. Uh, this was a couple. Of, this is a couple of years later, and just to put it into time perspective, the Led Zeppelin three album had not been released yet. Okay. We only we're only aware of the
1: first two, so I'm just about to get out of the car, and Rick says to me, "If you can get, uh, uh it's just try to get 650 tickets, uh, if possible." And uh, he says, "If you can get 650 tickets, I'll give you a blowjob at high noon at Times Square." <laughs> <laughs> Not that I really would be looking forward to something like that, but. I said, "All right, let me see what I can do." <laughs> so I go up to the box office and I say to the uh, elderly woman behind the glass, "Give me four of your best tickets in a row." Uh, so, a few seconds later, she spits out the tickets, slides the tickets to me, and uh, charges me thirty bucks for the four. So I said, "Oh well, a little fast math, will tell you. That's seven fifty a ticket." So I said, where are these seats? He says, uh, over there, there's a map of the stadium with all the seat numbers and stuff. You can check it out over there. So I walk over to the seating uh, thing, and lo and behold, we had second row center uh, for that show, Wow! which was the most fabulous thing that I could ever imagine. So when I got back in the car with the tickets, I said, I got 750 tickets. And uh, we're sitting dead center, and his girlfriend says, so "We only got forty five minutes to noon, Rex." <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But that was that was the loudest show that I have ever been to. As a matter of fact, they blew us away with the opening song, which was "Immigrant Song." Wow! And I remember the third album hadn't come out yet. Yeah. So. Opened the show with that song, and we're like freaking out. Oh, my God, it's a new song. Yeah, Oh, yeah. Um, and one of the memorable thing from that concert, uh, being that we were so close to the stage, and Plant would kind of walk up to the edge of the stage, and I'm yelling to him, dazed and confused, dazed and confused, I'm, you know, before they, they get into it all. So uh, one last desperate attempt, I go, dazed and confused.
0: And he walks up to the
1: microphone and goes, precisely. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I go, yeah, you know, made my day.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's so epic. That, that really is crazy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Malcolm, uh, well, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead, I was just going what, what? Sorry, what were you going to say?
1: Well, what I was going to say is some of my favorite bands, which are not necessarily the ones that I picked earlier, um, but I went through three stages. You know, as a kid, Zeppelin was number one. There was no no doubt about it. Nobody came close. I thought when Black Sabbath came out, and I saw them at the Fillmore East uh, when they first came to America, I thought this is going to be the next Zeppelin. Uh, they were close, but they just didn't hit the mark. Well, I was a Zeppelin fan for years and years and years. And then the thing that changed me was uh, I was working in radio at the time. And we went, um, uh, Big Floyd had released The Wall album. Of course,
0: everybody's familiar with The Wall. Oh, classic. And uh, that just
1: blew me away. And I said, I can't believe what I'm seeing. As a matter of fact, we had a promotion at the radio station that a lucky listener, plus one, was going to go with my wife and I uh, into the Nassau Coliseum to see Pink Floyd do the Wall Show. Now, I don't know if you knew this not, but that tour for the Wall was five days in Los Angeles, seven days at the Coliseum, and that was it. Yeah. And there were no encores. That was it. They just did the album start to finish. So uh, the day you know, we pick up the, the lucky listener, <laughs> uh, and we hop in the limo, we drive into the uh, Coliseum, and, uh, you know, I'm showing the tickets, and the guy at the door says, these tickets are no good. I go, what do you mean they're no good? He goes, this was for yesterday's concert. I go, what?
0: <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> I I said, listen, you know, I'm Malcolm Gray from WRCN, you know, we had this big contest, these are the winners, I got the limo right out there, blah, blah, blah. So... I talked to him for a few minutes. He goes, all right, listen, sit tight here. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Guy comes back, he says, I got some seats for you. So I go, awesome. Now, instead of being on the floor where I think our seats were supposed to be, we're like on the second mezzanine level where we're pretty much eyeball with the wall going across uh, the Coliseum. And the, and the great thing was, uh, personally i think it was the best seats in the house that we had because if you were on the floor you'd you'd have to look up the whole time to see what was going on you'd miss half the stuff and you'd have a neck cramp you know for two days yeah so here we are all the way in the back of the uh, it was like watching tv um head on and they're building the walls left to right or well, actually it was, uh, i think it was both directions at the same time anyway that was phenomenal. And from then on, and I'd always liked Pink Floyd, but I said, okay, this is it. I'll never see anything as spectacular as this. So that was back in, uh, I don't know, around 79? I think it was 80, maybe?
0: Yeah. Somewhere in
1: that uh, that area. And Pink Floyd had been my number one band until I saw YouTube. Um, I had free tickets to see them in Las Vegas. Um, and uh, I went with my friend Tony, the music guy, another buddy of mine, but I only had two tickets. Tony says, give me the tickets. So I give him the tickets. He goes over to the box office and he's wheeling and dealing over there and walks away with three tickets. <laughs> so, so anyway, I said, okay, that's cool. Now, that was the time, this is in 2005, uh, they made a, a, um, uh, Video of, um, yeah, a video of the concert, I think it was the Vertigo tour. Yeah, it was called the Vertigo tour. It had uh, um, a lot of great songs on the CD. And I kept listening over and over I said, boy, this is really a good album, I like this. And prior to that, I was like, okay, yeah, I heard the heads, you know, they're pretty decent. But when I saw the show, it just blew me away. And the DVD that they sold of that show was recorded in Chicago but it was the same identical show that I saw in Las Vegas and to this day I still think U2 is my personal number one band but you know there's like 10 or 20 bands that I absolutely love to include the police uh, Sting on his solo stuff oh yeah Uh, uh, Deep Purple uh, you know there's a lot of stuff you know and and to a fault, I'm sort of stuck in that 60s, 70s, 80s, and a little bit of the 90s kind of stuff. But, you know, that's what I grew up on. You know, you tend to love what you grew up on, and you keep that all your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100% on that one. Uh, Malcolm, uh, Genius of the Week here is a segment of the show where we call out some people for doing something that uh, is, well, you know, genius here so a couple well probably now about a month ago we walked into buffalo wild wings here and they they always turn around over there and they they always label these uh games on top of the, the tvs on sundays uh so people know what game to sit in here and whatnot so the uh, green bay packers were on the road they were playing the minnesota vikings they spelt it v-i-c-k-i-n-g there's our genius of the week there malcolm <laughs> I mean come Colorado on I can't spell <laughs> Absolutely here uh, Malcolm rapid response here Breaks us down into a segment of the show Where uh, we have Question here You tell me your thoughts about it Give me an explanation behind it What not uh, For a couple of questions here uh, Beatles or the Rolling Stones Malcolm who's the better band oh, the
1: Beatles By far and away On so many different levels um, You know both obviously extremely talented. Uh, It's a shame to to what happened to the Beatles, you know, that they broke up so early. But how many, uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the Beatles were the Beatles from 63 or 64 to about 1970 when they uh, broke up. So you're talking about a band that had as much impact as they did in about a seven-year time period. I mean, I don't know anyone other than Led Zeppelin that
0: can, uh, you know, that can say that. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I personally like the Stones better, but the Beatles are definitely the better band. Now, touch base with it a little bit before and. Uh... The significance of it just celebrated the 40th anniversaries and both of these songs were definitely played there. One and two. Metallica's best song, in your opinion, Master of Puppets, are one and the audience does know that you are not a big Metallica fan, but these are Metallica's best two songs. What do you think, in your opinion? Which one's better? Well, I can't really
1: comment on that only because I'm not familiar with the songs. But as I mentioned to you just you know a little while ago, I was pretty impressed with the uh, the show of that one particular concert uh, that they had. And I did listen to um, uh, a few things that you had actually sent me. But uh, there's only one song that I know, and that's Sandman. <laughs> and I, and I'm sure that's probably one of the biggest songs that they ever did. But, Absolutely. I, mean, I, lo- I love the intro to that song. And I could see that before they break into, you know, the, the main part of the song. That that intro could, could go in any direction. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's that good.
0: Absolutely. And you get more intros like that, especially in the earlier years. Uh, that's the fifth studio album. So, I mean, just crazy things that happened on that album. Celebrated the 30th anniversary of that album. And it was a big deal. And that's what really made them uh, commercialized, I guess. But, you know... I respect that answer, definitely, Malcolm, and one day, one day, buddy, we're going to be in Vegas together, we're going to be watching them, I'm telling you, I'm going to steal you and get you to a concert. <laughs> well, hey, listen, uh, I'm not opposed to that, uh, hopefully, maybe I'll uh, drag you in for a fight. Yeah, absolutely. Rapid number three, in our final rapid for the day, Malcolm, speaking of fights, uh, best boxing movie of all time, you are one of the biggest boxing fans I know, and, uh, I know that you know some pretty uh, high-end people as well, but what's your opinion of this one? Best boxing movie of all time.
1: You know, I thought about that. Um, there were some great boxing movies made back in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, Paul Newman was actually in one. I can't remember the name of it. Offhand. But you ask me a direct question, I'm going to give you a direct answer. Okay. And I... Uh, I'm gonna say Rocky The first Rocky movie um, I mean not only did Stallone Do a, a hell of a job On that movie With a very limited amount of money But it spawned off How many spin-offs?
0: spinoffs? Uh,
1: including the creeds?
0: Yeah Absolutely uh,
1: guessing, uh, uh, Seven, eight, nine I don't know it was a, it was a Yeah
0: four. You have Five originals the Return Yeah
1: have more
0: the James Bond movies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely either that or the Fast and the Furious, but I think I think you're right on that one. De- definitely I got, tell
1: you one, I got to tell you one boxing story if we have
0: the time. We do. But before uh, before, before you to... tell me the story, uh somebody up there likes me. That was the Paul Newman movie. Ah,
1: uh, okay. Go ahead. That's right. That's right. So my friend Pete not here. And uh, we've got nothing to do except kill some time. It's about 6 o'clock. It's an outdoor venue. And there's like eight people out there. Some of the preliminary fights were already going on. And so what do we do? Eh, We have a hot dog and a beer. We're just chewing the fat, just waiting for the the show really to begin. And uh, out of nowhere, this guy shows up. Uh, walking around the ring with a Don King wig on. And you you know, I give my friend a poke, I go check this knucklehead out. (laughs) He's kind of waving to us and that kind of thing. So um, anyway, we continued, and now the crowd is starting to come in. It's like maybe two hours before the main event. And uh, this guy shows up again. And uh, he comes out waving and people laugh and they think this guy's pretty funny. And uh, it was pretty, pretty comical, actually. And then about 20 minutes before the main event goes off, he pops out a third time, walking around, waving to everybody, and now you can hear the people laughing their asses off. And lo and behold, there comes Don King running after this guy trying to grab him. <laughs> the guy takes off like a bullet. So not only was that amusing, but fast forward a few years, I'm in Atlantic City um, with a... Uh, oh, no, I think I made a solo trip down there. I'm having dinner at one of my favorite Italian restaurants. Lo and behold, who comes walking into the restaurant? It's Don King with a bunch of his cronies, right? So I go, oh, cool. So I call my waiter home. I go, uh, listen, I could like buy a bottle of wine for the table over there for Mr. King. So my guy says, why don't you buy him a round of drinks? It'll probably be better. I go, better still. Let's do that. So I buy everybody a round of drinks, and I finish my dinner, and on my way out, I walk up to his table. I shake his hands at Mr. King, thank you very much for all the great fights that you put on over the years. I've been to many of them, and um, the others I watch on TV, whatever. What a great, you know, you've you've really made my my boxing life complete. And so he says, so, thank you. It was very nice of you to say that. Said, by the way, I want to share a story with you and your friends here. You remember a few years ago, we were out in Las Vegas. Uh, I forget what the fight was. But, and there was a guy running around with a wig on. <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, I remember that one. And <laughs> his friends friend at the table, they started laughing, too, because they knew the story as well. But uh, that was kind of cute. He was a good sport about it.
0: Yeah, that definitely is funny. <laughs> so, you heard it there from Malcolm. What a, what a great story that was. And de- definitely a big boxing fan. And we'll definitely have to uh, have you back on in the future to chat some boxing with us. Uh, my boxing movie, I got a tie here. I'm going to go The Fighter uh, with Mark Wahlberg uh, and uh, Christian Bale. Great movie. And play it to the bone. Definitely. Play it to the bone. Woody Harrelson. I'm a big Woody fan. Definitely, definitely a good even, one. You
1: need to think about
0: that one. Yeah, one of my favorites. You know the story. Two best friends fight in Vegas for a chance to get to the next level, and uh, it ends a draw. <laughs> and
1: as I recall, there was a girl involved, too.
0: Absolutely. Isn't there always a girl involved, Malcolm? It's yeah. always something. That's right. It's always something.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, you know, I, I was at... Um, uh,
1: in Vegas to see the Holyfield-Buster Douglas fight. Now, this is the fight that Douglas had just come up beating Mike Tyson. So he's like this big, you know, okay, this guy's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. Of course, you know, instead of a $30 million payday, Holyfield now has to settle for $12 million, You know, yeah. he's still the uh, the challenger. So, of course, that I mean, Buster Douglas must have come in about... Fifty pounds overweight. I mean, the guy was a, a mess. Uh, the Holyfield finished him off. I think it was in two rounds. So, fight. It was a quick fight. Uh, the evening progresses. I'm hanging out with my friends, doing a little gambling and drinking, and you know that kind of stuff. And it's about four o'clock in the morning. And I go walking through the casino, going to head up to the room and crash. Lo and behold, who do I see at the blackjack table? It's uh, it's to Holyfield. So I'm watching him, and he's sitting uh, at a at a twenty-five dollar blackjack table, and he's betting green chips, the the, the twenty-five dollar chips, right? So I walk up and so I go, "Congratulations on the uh, on the fight, Amanda. Hey, listen, you just won twelve million dollars. Why don't you make it fifty bucks?" <laughs> <laughs> and he turns around and it gives me that that the whole that holy field. Look in his
0: face. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 That's definitely that's definitely crazy. Uh Malcolm, thank you so much today for taking the time to chat with us. Um is there it's my pleasure. Yeah, is, is there any other crazy stories that Malcolm Lowry has not done? Well, I guess you guys are gonna have to wait for the sequel because He's got a lot more that are crazier than the ones that he shared today. But, Malcolm, enjoy the rest of Christmas Day, man. Again, I appreciate you so much, and I always love hearing your stories. I know so many times you always said, hey, listen, at any time that you're boring me, you better tell me. And I I just looked at you when you said that to me the first time, and you never said it again because none of these stories bore me. Well, I got plenty more. It's a whole
1: lifetime of, of accumulation, you know.
0: Absolutely, my friend. Definitely. In the meantime, all deacaholics, do me a favor. Follow me on the majors of social. That would be Instagram and Twitter, Deacon and co Deacon and co at gmail.com if you want to leave a message for me. But for now, Malcolm and Deacon are out.